0: welcome to episode 88 of scar bearers thanks for joining me today it's chris dt gordon as usual happy new year we are the this is the first podcast of 2022 i'm so happy you can be here with me and with me in the technological spirits are nate and Britton baron helping me out on the post-production side if you want their help on your projects just reach out to them at Nate Barron. Well, folks, like I mentioned, it's 2022. It's a new year, right? So everything's new. Like no more problems from 2021, right? No, of course not. We still have the same junk, just a different calendar page. That means our kids are still struggling with those thoughts of negativity and those challenges that trouble them every day. So please, if my message of the attitude of gratitude can help them increase their positivity, their gratitude, and their resilience, please reach out to me at chrisdtgordon.com. And speaking of resilient, my new friend and guest, uh, Kellen Fluckager, is a a poster boy for resilience. And you're going to find out why I say that. Kellen, how are you today, my friend?
1: I am perfect. Perfectly resilient. Let me help you with my last name. It's Flukiger. Flukiger, and it's funny. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. Don't apologize. It's funny because it looks like fluck, like yeah. duck and truck and the rest, but it's Flukiger. And it is uh, Swiss, and it used to have German Swiss, and it used to have the dots over the U. and It's flukiger, but it's oh, okay, flukiger. But anyway, it's perfectly fine. And yes, I'm Kellen, and I'm thrilled yes. to be here.
0: Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm just happy I pronounced the L; otherwise, I yeah. would get real trouble.
1: You know that was fun because I actually was a keynote speaker at a conference, a three-day conference once that was put on by a friend of mine. And on the actual program, he left the L out of my last name. So for three days, he got to apologize, and I got to make jokes.
0: <laughs> you know, it's good <laughs> when someone gives you the material.
1: Yeah, that was uh, that was fun.
0: So you and I share uh, share something in common that we have used as they as people say our mess as our message. We have chosen to help others with what we have gone through. however, we have we differ in the in way in the ways that we have you know gone through our trials of a tri, you know our tales of trials and tribulation basically and so most of my audience knows my story, but I bet they're excited to hear about yours. well
1: you know one of the things I know I love that you're doing this and yeah. Lots of folks. One of the things I love to do is help people write books. I have a program to do that. And one of the reasons I chose to do that, after I wrote a bunch of books is because people's stories like yours, their choices of, and you know, there, there's plenty of stories of failure, and nobody writes books about those. But the people that choose to make a difference, to pivot to, to turn their message to the message to, to make a, a choice to lift others to make something out of their lives after a difficulty, I really honor and admire those. And so you would certainly be on that, on that list of cool people that are doing that. My own story started when I was young. I was raised in a very strict religious home that, and the discipline that was applied at that time would would have been today felony child abuse. I would have been removed from the home. And it was, you know, I long since no longer frustrated or angry with my mom, who was the principal, a disciplinarian she was too young to have kids and she didn't really know what she was doing and she thought she was quote doing the right thing and saving me from hell and damnation and all the rest but the the interesting thing is she her effort to do that left me what i took out of all that was the fundamental knowledge that i was not good enough and never would be hmm. so i started my life you know, high school, college, later, I'm, I'm almost 66. So I've had, you know, a few years. I'm coming up pretty soon on my 50th high school reunion, right? So I've had a lot of years, but for the first 40, but from the time I was about 13, which is when I first remember like experimenting with drugs to get away from the pain of my life, till I was about 52. So about 40 years, never talking to anyone and living with the fundamental, like at the deepest level, believing that I was fundamentally flawed, like everything that was wrong around me, all the trouble in my life, all the trouble with the relationships I had and everything else was my fault. That view led me to be like a really lousy partner. I was married and then divorced three times. And Uh, I was a crappy partner. I attracted broken people. I didn't know how to support or help them because I was too busy being busted. I knew how to make a lot of money, so I went and did that. Thought that would fix everything, and it doesn't. And it didn't. It just allowed me to to uh, demonstrate my brokenness in more uh, flamboyant ways, I suppose. And I had a lot of stuff and all, all that sort of flamboyance. But behind the scenes, I was in and out of rehab and a poster child for stupid behavior and for poor choices <clears> that got to the point of self-loathing that I attempted suicide a couple times during the latter, uh, five years, the last five years that it got, that got really bad. It was one point where I, my uh, cocaine use was at, at $3,000 a week, wow. which is a staggering amount of blow. And I was making so much money that that was lunch money but that's how broken I was. And finally, in 2007, um, and this is a testament to how important each one of us is to our creator. I had a divine intervention and the divine intervention consisted of two parts. And it was an August, a Friday night in August of 2007, I was at the height of my career making ridiculous amounts of money and doing ridiculously stupid things. I got home on a Friday night and I had, I had, Four teenage children living with me, I was single again for the third time, had 10 kids, but four of them were still living with me. And um, I was getting ready to go out and party for the weekend. And for some reason, I felt like I needed to turn on the television. Now, that might not sound weird, except I never watched TV, and I actually didn't know how to turn it on. Now uh, I'd had I had one of these great big TVs installed, you know, the latest, greatest, biggest, whatever you could buy in 2007, but I realized I didn't know how to turn it on, so I had to ask one of my teenage kids to come and turn it on. And one of my daughters, she turned it on and threw the remote at me in disgust and stomped out of the room. It it landed on a show called Intervention, which is a reality TV show about families who stage interventions for busted people. Uh, like, you know, I didn't know what that was. I'd never heard of any of it. So anyway, I, I watched about 10 minutes of it. And the protagonist was a, an executive, a high-ranking executive with a cocaine problem. <laughs> you know, go figure, right? So I watched about 10 minutes of it. And I said, ah, oh, screw this. I'm not watching it. So I turned it off. It's, Puttered around for another 15, 20 minutes or something. And I was going to go out. And for some reason, I felt compelled to turn the TV back on. So I did. And this time I knew how to turn it on. So I turned on the TV and it that show started over at the beginning. And no, I don't have a DVR and no, it wasn't on the schedule. And no, it can't do that, but it did. And that scared me. And so I I thought, maybe I better watch this. So I watched it. It didn't go well. The guy refused all the help, stomped out, and got mad at his relatives and all that stuff. But that scared me bad enough that I went to bed instead of going out to binge for the weekend. When I went to bed, I went to hell. And what I mean by that is I I don't know where I went physically. Uh, Some felt like out of body. What paraded before my eyes was this whole panoply of... Uh, struggle, depression, sadness, bad decisions, broken things—my whole life. Kind of like you, you know, your life goes goes before your eyes. Only it wasn't flashing; it was very slow. After some long period of time, I heard a voice that said, "It is enough." It was not an angry voice or anything. It was just, "It is enough." I woke up, and it was five o'clock Saturday afternoon. So eighteen hours had passed. Wow! And I realized that I had been, and that. 18 hours, it was the most terrible torture I've ever felt. I felt so awful. I We don't have words to describe that. So I was grateful for it to be over. But anyway, I realized I'd been invited to change my life. So I got up and I threw away $1,000 worth of stuff that I had and um, knew that I had to change. And I figured, well, I have to quit the work that I'm doing. I have to change everything. And holy crap. Okay. And so I Got sober in one day. I went from 3,000 bucks a week to zero in one day. Wow. Stone cold sober. So that was part one. Part two happened two weeks later. I hadn't quit yet. And in the position that I was in, I was a, you know, I got, think of a CEO, gets all kinds of perks and free this, that, and the other. So I used to get free tickets. Yeah, I was going to
0: ask, what what kind of position did you have? I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm very intrigued.
1: Uh, see, I was in the C-suite. So chief operating officer, chief executive officer in different companies. Okay large company i was in the energy industry so it was in the united states and in canada uh, up and down the west coast gotcha So that's because i had a high ranking position i used to get free stuff one of the free things i got was a pair of tickets to see uh yo-yo ma who is if you know classical music you know who that is and if you don't you don't and at the premier venue in the town he does not play with
0: yo-yos by the way
1: no, he's a, yeah. he's a electrifying performer, but anyway, but I was single again for the third time and I didn't want to waste this other ticket. Mm-hmm. So I came to the groups that I managed and I said to everybody who likes classical music. And some lady in one of the groups said, well, I do. And I said, well, okay, cool. Have I were giving you anything. And she said, no. I said, okay, fine here. See you there. So we met at the venue and uh, I didn't know her very well. I knew she was, she worked in one of my groups, but anyway, I halfway through the show, which was fantastic. Uh, and I'm stone cold sober for two weeks. Halfway through the show, I had this feeling come over me and I recognized it from two weeks before as being otherworldly, divine in origin. And a voice said to me, you have, you, should, you need to marry this woman. And I argued, I said, you're out of your mind. I've screwed that up three times, plus a couple other relationships in between. That's not happening. Mm-hmm. And so later that night, we're backstage because, of course, they were backstage passes and I get to meet you know, everybody, blah, blah, blah. And the voice came back and said, yeah, <clears throat> comma, and you need to tell her tonight? Whoa! And I argued again like crazy, like, you know, she could sue me for harassment. I mean, come on, this is insane. And uh, you don't win those arguments. So I did, and it went about like you would have expected. Are you out of your mind? But she didn't call the cops or she didn't go to the HR or whatever. Two weeks later, she, it went about like you'd expect, you out of your mind, you know, but mm. she didn't flip out. Two weeks later, she'd had her own set of experiences, and I resigned, she resigned, and we walked away into the sunset. we have been together for 14 years. Wow. And we really didn't know each other very well at all. The reason that's important is two weeks earlier, I'd gotten sober, and this was the angel who was sent to help me tackle and overcome 40 years of depression and self-loathing, because getting sober has nothing to do with that. I was I was an addict and everything else because of the depression. And so this is the fundamental problem. And she has been unflagging and uh, and just an angel in support of, of fixing all that. So I walked away from the whole career, became a coach. And now I spend... I've written 15 books, and I spend my life from morning to night every single day helping people discover, develop, and manifest their divine nature. So it was a 180 pivot, and that's the short version. And if you want to read the rest, it's in a book called Tightrope of Depression, My Journey from Darkness, Despair, and Death to Light, Love, and Life.
0: Well, I could just say, hey, folks. Pass the perfection, go for greatness, and let it go. But I I have a few questions.
1: Oh, I expected so, but I didn't want yes. to take up too long telling the story. So No, no.
0: I, uh, I, I, well, I appreciate your consideration and uh, giving me the short, short version. So I'm going to back up a little bit here. So you said that you did not know her very well. She was in one of, her, one of your groups. What kind of group was she in that you where in which you worked with her, but you didn't know her very well.
1: Well, she, a lot of people worked for me. So I knew, I knew who she was and I knew her, but I didn't know her personally Uh, in terms of anything about her personally. I just knew she was one of my project managers and she managed some very big projects. She had a promising career. She'd been in that department for nine years and other departments in other areas, but, you know, she was good at her job. She was well-respected and I knew that. Uh, She had, she did good work uh you know that's kind of all i knew about her she was a good project manager and she did cool stuff in my groups that i needed done and that's kind of what i knew
0: okay all right so um you know classical music yeah yeah obviously okay did yo-yo ma play at the wedding
1: no he did not (laughs) come and play at the wedding that was a good question but no i didn't get to know him that well
0: (laughs) gotcha so okay so to this this uh, question you asked her the very night you, you know you you went on one date essentially and she is your employee and she's and you ask her this question she says no but again does not call hr does not call the cops on you what i guess between that time and the time that you obviously get married like, what was the change? Like, what was the next step that she took? Did she, was she the one that called you out and said, called you back and said, you know what, maybe it's give it a try or how did that transpire?
1: So thank you. No one has actually ever asked that before. She went home that night. The next day we were at work and um, the, there was something, uh, well, the whole thing was divinely orchestrated. So there was something electric about the whole experience and i've asked her since i mean everybody in the department knew that i had a drug problem they didn't know like no but every there were rumors and everything everybody kind of knows that stuff right so she knew and i've asked her a whole bunch of times what on earth like what in the world would have possessed you to walk away from a promising career into the sunset with a drug addict that you don't know very like what and she said you know I've asked myself that question a bunch of times. She's just said, I just knew to the core of my soul that it was the right thing to do. And so the answer is, we talked a little bit the next day, we agreed to have some more conversation and very quickly, it just became apparent and not this romantic, monstrous attachment, although I love her furiously, It was, it was, it was this thing, this tangible energy, this has to happen and it has to happen now. And she literally sold her condo and moved down, you know, moved 200 miles. I was commuting to where I was working because I was living one place and flying every day on a small jet not, i had an apartment in the other it doesn't matter those are all details that don't matter but she sold her apartment and moved in with me like in 15 minutes the whole thing is mad not 15 minutes 15 days yeah. like a craziness and it was only because of the intensity and the reason this is important the reason this is important isn't because Wow, what a romantic story, or what a crazy thing, both of which are true. The reason it's important is because it's an evidence to you, to me, to every one of your listeners. That's how important you are. That our (laughs) creator, I mean, I made a mess out of my life. I'm 52 years old, I have 10 kids, I have three exes. I am a disaster. And, you know, the divine decides, okay, it's time to issue this invitation. And it's always an invitation. Nobody makes anybody do anything. An invitation to radically change your life, to completely walk away from all your money, power, career, and here's someone, and I'm, I'm inviting them to go with you because this is the path. Hmm. And that's how important you you, me, each one of the listeners, that's how important you are. And that's why this story is important. Not because the crazy stuff happened. All those crazy its absolutely crazy, Mm -hmm. but because it's an evidence of how important you
0: are. That is a wonderful message because we get so stuck in our everyday lives and in the drama of media or the drama that is cast upon us, given our 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 station in life, that we do sometimes forget we are important. That we do serve a purpose. And you know, thank you for that reminder, Kellen. So, what is your wife's name? Your partner's name?
1: Her name is Joy. Like you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> Her name is
0: Joy. Well, yeah, I mean, that just seems a fit so I, of course it does but like you you can't make this up right yeah so you enjoy as you say a walk up into the sunset what is the first step in this new journey that you take besides you know moving into it with each other and you know saying bye to your old careers
1: yeah she quit I quit she was a Long time, she had some hobbies. She was a long time dealer on eBay in antiques and collectibles. Her dad had been an archaeologist and had passed away about three years before then, 2005. So just two years before we were together and had left her a bunch of old artifacts. So she had a couple of antique stalls in different antique malls around the city and had an eBay presence that did a lot of uh, glass, silver you know, that sort of antiques kind of stuff. And so she ramped that up and started creating that. I had been um, a musician, and that has to do with part of the story of depression because my mom hated that idea and didn't want me to do it, and I had to abandon it all. Mm -hmm. So I reopened a recording studio and started recording music again, at the same time exploring what I could do that was... In addition to that, and, and after a couple of years, I, I started thinking about the coaching piece because I realized the big changes that had taken and were taking place in me, it took me two or three years to even begin to address the depression. I mean, I finally started to go talk to somebody else. First time in my life I'd ever talked to a counselor, for example, a couple of, a year or so after we uh, got married. And I... At first, I didn't even know how to tell the truth to the counselor. I was so used to being in charge, being in control, and having to to be right, even if I had to lie, and I was a pathological liar about everything. So I had to go tell the counselor everything that was wrong and everything that I'd already learned and how to fix it. And I'm sure they thought I was useless and crazy. It took me two or three years before I could just tell the truth and be vulnerable. And, and just actually start working on like w- what needs to be different here, because obviously the way I'd conduct my own life is a disaster. Mm-hmm. So what, what do we need to do here in order to even make some progress? So that, that is, was the na- first steps. Go ahead.
0: You know, I'm sorry. I was just going to say that is fascinating. And the way you say it, it's like, I'm just imagining you, just have this this mask that this whole like suit of armor that you're wearing that was forged out of the out of the struggles and the abuse and all the you know all the tribulations you've dealt with and then having to shed that and not even knowing how to unbuckle it you know how to unbuckle this armor and take it off that that must have been a an enormous mental struggle for you.
1: Well, it was slow. I mean, I went through three or four counselors because I would talk to them three or four or five or six times and realize nothing's happening here. And it was my fault because Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to use their skill. And some are better than others at being patient, asking questions, seeing through stuff, calling my bullshit. Some are better than others and some try, but all of them tried and they were all, I didn't, Joy found them. She would look up in the resumes and say, you know, this one sounds like a a good one. It might be a good fit. And so she went to battle trying to, you know, one guy was 75 years old and he was a forensic PhD psychologist and he was one of my favorites and others, you know, you know, she would find him after five or six and I'd say, you know, it just doesn't. Okay, fine. She'd go find another one and, you know, go to work on helping me, but, but see, I didn't even know how to have a friend. Like, I didn't even understand how valuable what she was doing was. It took me four or five years before I learned how to love, before I learned how to be loved, before I learned how to have a friend. I, I didn't even know what that was.
0: You're you are a combination of a Christmas carol and Groundhog's Day. Yes. Yeah. For the first part is Christmas Carol when you wake up and have this epiphany and the second part is day. Groundhog Day just taking years you know that this one day stretching the years because she's the Andy, Mac- Andy McDowell character trying to teach you how to be a human and you're kind of, of course you're Bill Murray trying to learn all these lessons and so yeah you are you are a movie character and but you know It's again, it is fascinating that you have had this experience and you are willing to share it with others so they can make their lives better. And so, you know, what were, was there one, I guess, is there one counselor that you've been stuck with or or not stuck with, but you've been working with these past 10 years then?
1: No, I've probably seen seven or eight, the one that I liked the most one that I like the most that I, if I I'm not seeing one right now for okay. several years we did the one that I like the most that is here in Edmonton Alberta and I would go back to if I felt like I even needed to talk to somebody once or twice or something is that geezer who is an ex biker ex drug addict himself PhD oh, wow. forensic guys 10 years older than I am okay and he has long hair and he was weird. And I'm like, and then part of our sessions, he used to he introduced me to something called shamanic breathwork, which is a particular style of breathwork, uh, to a really heavy beat. And so after we met in shrinkdom for several weeks, uh, many, many sessions, he said, Well, I'd like to try this. And so we did this and was really valuable and then the sessions were longer they were not 60 minutes but 90 minutes or even longer and we'd come in and talk for a few minutes he said all right sounds like that's a good thing to take to the mat and the mat means to lay down and to then go through this breathing for like an hour or 70 minutes and see what happens and so unorthodox and you know but he was very insightful uh dude and so yeah he was my uh, he was he's he would be my favorite
0: Wow, that's I'm just imagining you and this ex biker, drug addict, long haired, uh, you know, uh, doctor laying down on the mat practicing your breath work. It's uh, quite the image there. So, but I am I am interested in this breath work because I, I, as a runner, I you know focus on my breathing a lot because when you run when you're running. Thirteen or 26 or however, however long you're running, you have to make sure that your body's working optimally and breathing is a, a little, is a little part of that. And so when you're going through this hour long session, what is the physical change that you're experiencing maybe halfway through, or maybe at the end that is so transformative?
1: So th- this shamanic breath work is ra- very, very rapid mouth breathing. You lay on your back, you breathe, fill your lungs all the way up, including diaphragm. So top, middle, bottom, in, out, in, out, really hard, really fast. First, it would be like lightheaded hyperventilate. And then you get way, way, way past that. And actually moves you into a, an altered state of consciousness. So in an altered state of consciousness with that much fast breathing, and you really if you, to learn to do it, you have to focus because for, for three or four minutes it's easy, and then it gets hard, and then you have to keep doing it and keep doing it, and you you tingle, it moves all the way to your ends of your toes and fingers, and then your head is like wildly over oxygenated. You can have it's literally an altered state, so it's you can have visions and uh, all kinds of stuff. And so when we would do that, he would ask me at the end, uh, you, you have to you have to lay there for a minute, and get your Come back to Earth, yeah. and um, then he would ask me what um, what I saw and what I thought. And we didn't start until I had a topic. So we would have a topic, and I would go and you just let happen whatever happens. And one time I had a vision of one of those India, uh, I don't know, with um, deities, the very colorful, and it looked, it looked like a woman, big headdress kind of thing. That it, I think of. I, Hindu or, and I, if anybody listens to this, that's not, and I've got it all wrong, I apologize. But that's what I thought it was. Colorful deity. And so I was having a conversation with her and she said the following phrase. And the phrase was, from the place of being, the doing becomes trivial. And that phrase means it's obvious what it means, but to think about it, it is if you choose to be something, then the doing that manifests that is easy. And if you think of addictions, for example, or any change, when you try to white knuckle something, which is force your behavior change with white knuckle willpower, it becomes and remains difficult. If you change who you're being from the inside out, then the doing part is easy. Anyway, when I got out of the trance, I got up and he said, so, you know, what, what happened today? And I told him, well, yeah, you know, this lady uh, from the place of being, the doing becomes trivial. And it was funny because he was sitting in a chair and he, he, he didn't lay on the floor. I did. He sat in a chair. But anyway, he, he spun around in the chair and his head whipped around. He said, can I use that? And I said, <laughs> yes, of course. So, so those kinds of things, insights, and he would write them down for me and take them. And I have, you know, things that I would take away from each of those sessions. And and the point of all that is everything, everything that we experience in life is of our own creation. What I mean by that isn't that we control or ask for stupid things that other people do. What I mean is by creating your own experiences, you get to decide, and you do decide whether you mean to or not how you experience every event around you and by those choices you create your life and the cumulative value of these insights plus other books that i've read and all the other things have have grounded me in that truth which means i get to live a life of joy every single day not only because i'm married to her but because i choose to do that i refuse to be defined or limited by anything that has happened in the past or by anything that happens today or by anything that anybody else does or says or doesn't do or doesn't say because I own my life.
0: That is immensely powerful because it I mean obviously it's so it's such a simplistic you know thought concept oh I can I'm I'm my own person. I could do anything I want, but we are so inundated by all kinds of stimuli that we can either be washed away by the tidal wave of media and the novelty of now, or we, as you can say, we can live in the moment. We can choose our own destiny. We can choose our own thought patterns and messages and actions. Uh, When I speak, A phrase I use a lot is, where your thoughts go, your mind and body will follow. And what you said just illustrates that beautifully, Kellen. Thank you so much for sharing that.
1: It's totally right. You do. And if, if I leave you, just two thoughts. The truth, it's easy to say, well, you create your own experience, blah, blah, blah. And then it's also easy to say, yeah, it's easy for you to say it's a bunch of crap. You don't deal with blah, 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 all the stuff I do. I don't care where you are right now. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what's happened to you. You're a divine sovereign being, and you can own that choice today. And if your habit has been to give it away, to allow externalities and other people's opinions, attitudes, and feelings of the government or God or the universe or COVID or anything else to control how you feel and how you show up, that's okay. The thing that can happen to you right now is you can say, you know what, I'm done doing that. And I don't care what anybody else does or says, I'm going to choose how I live in that space and in that universe. And what you'll find is by making that choice, you have so much more power to affect even those externalities than you have any idea of today.
0: That sounds like something you've written in one of your books. I should have,
1: I don't know, probably somewhere.
0: (laughs) Well, there's number 15. So speaking of those books, what what moved you to start writing?
1: You know, I never imagined myself an author. When I first started, when I dropped out of that career, I said, what am I going to do? And the first thing I did is I wanted to help people learn to meditate because I'd been, you talk about martial arts. I've done that since I was a, a youngster on and off, and that included meditation for me. And I have, I have actually owned a little martial arts studio for a while, and I have a second degree black belt in a couple of different mm-hmm. styles. So I connected with you, and you said that. Uh, Sudo and uh, Shuri which is Okinawan old style. Okay. And Tung Sudo is the other Korean besides Taekwondo. Yep. So it's Taekwondo and Tongsudo. But anyway, so um, the first thing I did is I wrote a, a series of five books on meditation. And they were different aspects of it, how it affects different parts of life. And that was so that I could start helping, start doing something, creating a business and selling. I sold meditation product. I created some meditation music because uh, I had, you know, I owned a, bought some gear and recording and, you know, made some music and stuff like that. Then as, as I finally got a handle on my own depression and healing and all that stuff, I realized I needed to tell the story of my life. So then I wrote um tightrope of depression which is a story about myself and i never thought that i'd write any more about that i thought okay i've told the story i'm done and about five minutes after i got done writing it i realized i was just getting started and so i've written volume two which is called down from the gallows and volume three will come out at the end of next year so it'll be a trilogy then i wrote a business book called the results equation which is a process coming from my years as a consultant and high-powered blah, 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 about how to make things happen. And then I wrote a book about called The Story Arc, which is a book about how to write books. And it's the process I use in my workshops to help people write books. And then I wrote a book um, then three years ago, in uh, two and a half years ago, in June of 2018, uh, I died. I got uh, a fatal illness and died in the intensive care unit at the University of Alberta Medical Center here. And uh, so I had a a very empathetic moment with you. I had necrotizing MRSA in both lungs and in my bloodstream. Wow. And it's, I mean, they they told me later that the 10-day mortality rate of that particular strain that I had was 100%. And so, you know, I died. No kidding, was is the answer, right? And during that time, unexpectedly, I had a near-death experience and had three conversations with God at the door between life and eternity. So then I wrote a book called Meeting God at the Door, Conversations, Choices, and Commitments of a Near-Death Experience. And then I wrote a couple of follow-on books, one called The Book of Context, which is about changing beliefs, and one called Walking Without Fear. And I just finished the first draft of a book called Forgiveness, A Journey of Courage to a Place of Freedom and Power. And so I have six or seven others that I'm working on right now too. So that's what happened. I never fashioned myself an author during all those years as an executive, but i have been driven since I walked away from that and I can't stop. And I love writing and I love helping other people do that.
0: Well, it sounds like that, that executive position shackled your imagination, your creativity. Yes. And now you're unfettered and free to explore all those avenues. Amen. So that's fantastic. Where can we find these fantastic books, Kellen?
1: You know, one of the fun things about having a name like Kellen Flukiger is I'm really easy to find. So if yeah, you not go- many
0: Flukigers <laughs> around,
1: no, especially a Kellen Flukiger. Yeah. Actually, in parts of Switzerland, Flukiger is as common as Smith, but oh, Kellen gosh. Flukiger, there's only two in the world. I have eight billion and the other one's my son. And so nice. if you look me up on Amazon, there's lots of books and music that I've done. If you Google me, there's thousands and thousands of hits because of the executive stuff I did, papers I wrote, and mm-hmm. I testified before Congress and all that crap. All that's in there. So I'm not hard to find. I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Easy to find because of the name.
0: Yes. Wow. That and you know, I would say that you have said enough. But if there was one parting message you could leave with the audience, maybe to help them through the rest of their day or just to maybe start their day on a positive note, what would that be?
1: It would be this. <clears throat> no matter what has come, what, what hardballs life has thrown at you, no matter what struggles you've been through, it is never too late to change, to matter, and to have a big impact. If you choose to lean into your divine purpose, like you're valuable, you're of infinite worth, I don't care where you are or what you've been through, it's never too late. It's never too much water under the bridge. Never, never, never. Go get help if you need to, go talk to somebody, take at least that kind of control so you can take the first step to moving in the direction of health, recovery, power, because somebody needs your help.
0: Well said, sir. Well said. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Kellen, and that beautiful message. I have one more question for you. What is your favorite dinosaur? Wow i don't know
1: uh, uh you know i suppose it would have to be i don't even know the names i mean i know the name of like brontosaurus and t-rex and stuff but it, it would probably be one of those great big raptors that could fly
0: okay like a pterodactyl or pteranodon i get,
1: you're over my pay grade whatever <laughs> they are
0: right yeah. yeah it's a question i ask all my guests because one time was like a couple years ago before i started the podcast obviously someone was lamenting that no one asks them what their favorite dinosaur is anymore and i thought you know what i'll be that guy i'll ask you
1: <laughs> well i love it i never have been asked that question before and obviously because i have no idea so yeah. one of those great big things that fly that's big and powerful and you know like the precursor to the eagles that were part of lord of the rings
0: there you the know, ones yeah. before
1: those guys
0: yeah there you go yeah they're they're almost dinosaurs themselves
1: yeah yeah they're ancestors bigger yeah. than that those guys
0: well my friend and i i am honored to consider that i mean i don't know if you think the same of me but you are a joy to know kellen flukiger Thank you so much for uh, sharing your story with me. It is a blessing as I start this next year of podcasting and just living life to the fullest. And I hope your message reaches those who need it most. So folks, if you want to reach out to Kellen, you can find him at Amazon. Like you said, he and his son have the monopoly on the Kellen Flukiger name. So check them out for their, uh, for his message and his wonderful uh, books If you want to find out what I have to offer, you can go to ChrisDTGordon.com. Thankfully, I have a monopoly on that name. You can find out more about me and the Attitude of Gratitude, or TAG for short. Please download a free TAG one-sheet so you can practice playing TAG at home, at the office, wherever you need a little more gratitude, positivity, and resilience. Well, folks, thank you so much for joining me today. Please have a wonderful day. And remember to pass on perfection and go for greatness.